Welcome to the Lawns Across America podcast. My name is Alan Hain, and I'm the Lawn Care Nut. This is mid-March 2022, so we are coming into the spring season now. And in fact, by the time this comes out, we will have already sprung forward and daylight will be longer. You guys are going to want to be getting out. You're going to have a lot of questions, and so that's what we're covering today. Pretty much just straight Q&A. Everything you're going to want to know about pre-emergence, spring seeding to dethatching. We're going to cover a lot of different topics all through here. We're going to talk about some equipment and things like that, but really it's just going to be mostly straight Q&A. So hope you guys enjoy. Of course, as always, I'll smatter in some nice 80s music because I don't know, it just sounds good with lawn care to me. So with that, let's get into it. Right, y'all let's jump right into some prodiamine pre-emergent questions we get a lot this time of year so i'm going to try to just rattle off a few and maybe go into some philosophy and some way of thinking as we move through that strategy so just to give you a quick recap prodiamine is a pre-emergent prodiamine is the active ingredient and uh, we use that because we're primarily in the spring trying to stop crabgrass from invading the lawn. Crabgrass is an annual grassy weed. It is a spring annual, which means that it germinates in the spring. It rages throughout the summer. And in the fall time when things get cold, it busts seed heads. It drops seeds. The plant dies. The following spring, the seeds that it dropped, they grow. And the cycle continues. And this will get worse and worse and worse over time. And so what we want to do especially early in your strategy, as you're brand new to lawn care, one of the first things you want to do, no matter what your grass type, is you want to play defense against the crabgrass, especially if you're finding this in the spring. And that's what we're talking about right now is spring pre-emergent for crabgrass. So prodiamine is a pre-emergent herbicide. Herbicides kill weeds and pre-emergent herbicides kill weeds before they emerge, before you see them, before they show. Prodiamine is what we use as our pre-emergent herbicide to stop crabgrass. And that is really the main thing we're talking about here in the spring with this strategy because it can be one of those things that can completely ruin your your uh, your progress. It really can. So we want to get ahead of that. So prodiamine we put down, we do two applications in the spring. That is called a split application strategy. If you search lawn care nut pre-emergent strategy, you'll find my free guide and uh, there's thousands of copies out there now. Pretty much everybody follows that framework these days, and it works great. And the framework is this. As soil temperatures cross 50, heading to 55 in the spring, we put down one application of prodiamine. And then as soil temperatures cross 60, 65, heading to 70, in the later spring, we put down a second application. Two applications in the spring as defense against crabgrass. Now, there's a lot of questions that come up with that. And the one is, especially early here in the spring, now we're at March 8, 9, 10 right here, and so a lot of the country, you're just now seeing your lawn and you're just now getting out and starting your early spring cleanup in that and your soil temperatures are starting to, to get close to that first milestone. But what happens is inevitably you're measuring or maybe you, you're using our my app, which is the Yard Mastery app, and it's telling you, hey, soil temperatures are crossing 50 right now and it'll even notify you time to put down your pre-emergent. But what you're doing because you're an astute lawn care nut because you're somebody that's studying because you can't wait to get out in the lawn, right? You're watching the the local weather and you realize that, well, right now it's warm. We had this warm spell. It's great. I got out in the lawn. I'm walking around and, and, and exploring and seeing what kind of things are going on. My app says my soil temperatures have risen to 50, 51. Uh, I've ordered my prodiamine. It's gotten to me. I'm ready to throw down. But I know that this following weekend coming up, we're going to go back into a cold spell because that happens, right? And you realize 
it might even get down into the 30s overnight. So what happens if I put my prodiamine down now when the soil temperatures are saying they're at 51, it's good, and then over the next weekend, the outside air temps get down in the 30s, which is going to probably cause the soil temperatures to possibly drop back down into the 40s. They won't go back down to freezing. That's probably not going to happen. That'd be a, man, It would take a long time for that to happen. But maybe the soil temps go back down in the 40s. Is that going to hurt my prodiamine? The answer is no. The, those temperature fluctuations will not have any negative effect on the prodiamine at all. So you're good there. Just get it watered in. That's the key. And and it doesn't matter when you water it in either. Obviously, you don't want to water it in when it's 30 degrees outside. But, you know, just get it watered in like normal. Just don't just pretend there is no temperature fluctuation. You're you're actually just hitting the window really early or right at the very beginning of the window. If you, you know, the first time you see soil temperatures crossing that 50, 51 Maybe that's two weeks earlier than you normally would have done it, but that's okay. It's all right to be a couple weeks earlier. And again, cold weather that follows is not going to hurt your results at all. So that's one of the bigger questions that we've been getting recently when it comes to that. Now, the other one would be, what if I come in a little bit late? What does that mean? Now, again, our app will kind of try to uh, work with you. It tries to space your applications out. Even if you come in a little bit late, there's some logic built in there. It's not perfect, but it does still try to get you the best pre-emergent application window that it can, even if you join late. But if you're somebody that's just coming in and you're just reading the content manually, which is really how most of you should do it from the beginning, is you should kind of follow this as a manual strategy. So let's say you come in and you're, uh, I don't know, let's say you're in North Georgia right now and you've got, uh, and you've got some uh, Bermuda, you just found us here, and uh, you're worried about crabgrass, your soil temperatures right now here in March, they're probably maybe almost 60, let's say. And so you're like, am I late? Can I still throw down? Because I'm way past the 50 when you would originally have told us to start. And I'm, and I'm saying, yes, it's okay to be late. Because remember, the window for crabgrass germination is like 55 to like 70. But, but think about it this way. Not all of the crabgrass germinates all at the same time. Some of it's an inch down in the soil. Some of it's four inches down in the soil. So the temperatures there fluctuate. Some crabgrass seeds might be sitting in areas that are more shaded versus more sun. So that will fluctuate. Um, you know, and, and when, you're, when you're thinking about your lawn soil temperature, that's an average, right? So the idea is, is that the soil temperature range happens at different places throughout the spring. So getting something down three weeks late is better than getting nothing down at all. Getting something down five weeks late is better than getting nothing down at all, and so on and so forth. So if you come in in the spring, you're never too late to at least get some sort of protection down for crabgrass. Now, once soil temperatures are past 70, you know, uh, wherever you live, that might be later in the year, then there's probably no need to throw down in the spring anymore because at that point you probably won't be doing a lot of good because it's too late. So that's the idea, right? If you're between 55 and 70 and you find this content, yes, you should go ahead and throw down some prodiamine. If you find this content and you're heading into the summer and you're already past soil temperature of 70, then just leave the prodiamine behind and consider that as a strategy for the following spring. Another thing to think about, and those of you that listen to this podcast a lot, you'll know I use the same analogies often, but in the idea of being late or not being perfect, you know, people do, they get kind of, I don't know, they they think that things are absolute when it comes to this, and they're not. There there are definitely soil temperature milestones I give you. There are, are markers that you want to look for, but these are not markers that are hard and fast. These are markers that are just telling you you're in the zone, uh, kind of like, 
the channel when you're when you're in your boat, right? You got red right returning and you got green and you got to stay in between the channel. It doesn't mean you have to hug one side or the other. You just need to be somewhere in the channel and you're not going to run aground. That's kind of how the pre-emergent strategy works. Just get it in the channel. Just stay in between in between the buoys, in between the navigational beacons and you're going to be just fine. So think about that strategy that way. And if you think about the professional services that are on the road, right? They're not hitting their customers all perfectly, especially the larger ones. Some of these lawn services, you know, they have 13, 14,000 customers out of one branch office, 30, 40, 50 routes in some cases. They're not hitting all of those customers all at the ideal time. No, they're hitting them all throughout a window. Um, And that's where I want to explain to you the final piece of this is the pre-emergent strategy is not the only strategy. It's a piece of an overall strategy that includes a lot of other things, including post-emergent herbicides, including fertilization to make the lawn thicker, including a lot of frequent mowing to make the lawn thicker, and to also discourage weeds. So all of those things are all of a strategy that works together. So maybe the the pre-emergent strategy for you this year didn't go perfect. Maybe maybe something happened and you got late, uh, or you just completely missed an application. That's okay. Just pick up on the other marks. Do the best you can on your other pieces of the strategy and let them all work on each other or work together. If one falls short, maybe some of the others can pick up where that one fell. Another thing that comes up with pre-emergence are people will ask this question all the time is, I put my pre-emergent down, got my application down well, knew that there was rain coming, so I was waiting for that, which is great, good idea. And Alan, I was supposed to get a half inch of rain and I got 1.5 inches of rain and it was a massive downpour did my prodiamine or did my pre-emergent wash away? So this is one of those where I first want to just say that you have to have faith. Well, I got to have faith. Yeah, I got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Ah. You got to have faith that it worked because I can't tell you on the internet if your prodiamine washed away. I understand you told me that you got 1.5 inches of rain, but I don't know your soil type. I don't know the slope of your land. I don't know how many downspouts you have that, that, concentrated water in one spot, standing water in another. I There's all these things I could never tell you. I don't know if 1.5 inches of rain fell at the airport and only 0.75 fell at your house. I don't know if your rain gauge has not been emptied in six years. There's all these things I don't know, right? So I can't tell you that it washed away, but what I can tell you is this. Prodiamine pre-emergent has been used for many, many years, many years with great success and is still used today by most lawn services with great success. There have also been 1.5 inch deluge rains in every state in America for those same years. And remember, prodiamine has always worked. It's always had reports of working very well. So the idea is this is where nature's going to win sometimes, but it doesn't mean we go out and reapply. We don't do that. You just have to have faith that it worked. You have to have faith that things went right. Now, if you knew there was 1.5 inches coming, you shouldn't have applied, right? But I get it. There's times when you don't know that and things aren't predictable. But we don't reapply. We just realize this product has worked for a long time. So more than likely, it's fine. The thousands of professional lawn services that apply this product, again, it rains on them all the time. And you don't hear about, you know, mass problems with prodiamine not work. You don't see that, right? It works fine. So I'm not explaining this in the right way, except I don't have a way to tell you if it got washed away, but I can tell you you don't reapply because you don't know. And you don't want to be irresponsible by doing that. So that's where nature sometimes wins. Now, the second piece of this, though, 
and this is what's most important. This is why I recommend a split application strategy because of that fact. If you put that early one down, you get that 1.5. Well, man, that that sucks. Okay, marking that down in the journal. Man, that was a tough year. Going to watch, see if I do get a lot of breakthrough this year. Then I'll know, right? If I keep working, that's why we have a lawn journal in the app or you can keep a keep your own notes. Uh, you know, you guys want to act like golf courses. This is what they do. They keep copious notes on different greens and how they respond during different times of year, where the diseases are, all these things. This is all about learning your land. So keep that note. But the reason we have a split application strategy is because we're going to do that second application in 45 days or so, right? That is your backup. So that's one of the reasons we do that. Okay. So that's another, you know, thing to think about is I still have that second one coming, you know? So that's kind of hopefully give you a little bit better peace of mind, but realize you're not the only person that's dealing with this. This this type of thought has happened for years and years and years, and it's just one of those things we deal with in lawn care, so you just have to get used to it, and again, keep notes. If you don't get breakthrough after that hard deluge, then you know it works. Does that make sense? I hope, I hope I'm kind of getting through to you there. I can't answer every question definitively, but I can at least try to get you to think through the strategy and understand how to deal with it. Almost think of it like, Maybe like a, like a, a football coach changing the strategy of his game. Actually, I'll tell you, I think it would be better this way. I think you have to approach lawn care in these types of situations like a fighter. I'm not a fighter. Not, not at all. But I like to watch uh, combat sports. I like to watch MMA, probably because I'm a Joe Rogan fanboy, honestly. But I like to watch, and I like to listen to how they, a, a fighter will come in and you'll and you'll have a certain strategy, and maybe it will work, or and then the other fighter will figure out the strategy and start finding holes in it. Well, so then the other fighter has to adapt in the second round and the third round. Maybe they go to takedowns. Maybe they take the things to the ground. They're adapting as they go because it's a combat sport. Well, that's kind of how lawn care is. It's a combat sport, but your combat is with nature. And I'm telling you, she's a beast, man. I'm not, she, Mother Nature... God is way more powerful than an MMA, any MMA fighter, and you're not going to win, right? So what do you do? You just take the punches. You weather the storm, which is what they call it in fighting a lot of times. You got to weather the storm, and then you figure a way through. And that is really how, man, that's a good analogy. I didn't even plan that one. <laughs> that is how lawn care works. So yeah, you put your prodiamine down. You did the right thing. You trained, right? You read the label. You made a proper application. You timed out the rain perfectly, and then the strategy changed. You got 1.5 inches of a deluge, and you're like, man, this, what do I do? Well, got to weather that storm. Got to wait till the next round when you can put your next prodiamine application down and know that you can recover from that. Maybe, maybe you got to think about, well, I might get some breakthrough. Got to check on my post-emergent weed control game. Make sure I'm, I'm up to speed there. I'm ready to spot spray early. I'm diligent. I'm watching for weeds to break through so that I can hand pull them knowing they might come so I can just get on top of it that way rather than having to go hard chemical. You're planning that strategy, you're weathering that storm, and you're adjusting your game plan as you go so you can win this fight in the later rounds. That, my friends, is how you approach all of your lawn care, but especially this time of year. If the weather doesn't go your way, that's how you do it.
All right, now for some rapid fire questions. This one we get a lot. Can I apply granular prodiamine and stress blend on the same day? This happens because the app will recommend those two together, especially depending on your grass type. They go down about the same time. And the answer is yes, same day is fine. You don't want to mix them in the hopper together, though, and try to get it all done like that. It's two separate applications, but then you can flip the sprinklers on, put that half inch of water down or whatever it is, and get those all watered in together. That is fine. And by the way, you can do prodiamine with pretty much any fertilizer on the same day, as long as that fertilizer doesn't contain any other stuff, uh, just, you know, NPK miners. Sure, you can apply prodiamine and fertilizer. They work separately. They're not going to interfere with one another. So same day is fine. And the same would go for flagship. We're going to start getting a lot of questions about that. Yes, prodiamine, flagship, same day, no problem. Not mixed in the hopper together. Two separate applications, water it all in, you're good to go. question that came off of YouTube comments. This is about prodiamine and getting it watered in. I live in deep south Texas and I live on one acre of land that's been taken over by clover. I don't have an irrigation system. Can I spread this in the evening and allow the morning dew to take care of the watering? The grass is really wet in the morning. Well, the first thing is, is prodiamine is not going to be an effective pre-emergent against clover. That's mentioned in the comment. I just want to say that. Uh, prodiamine in the spring is primarily going to be effective against crabgrass, which you you may have a problem with. Uh, as far as watering, I would not recommend you relying on the dew of the morning to get that watered in. I would not do that. Possibly over time, maybe it might work, but no, that's not something that I'm going to recommend. What I would recommend, and I get this a lot from people that have large properties, like, well, I can't water. And, and so what I have to, to say is, well, then let's logic this out together, okay? I understand you have an acre and you can't water it, so you have to then try to time it out with rain. Now, you're not going to be perfect, but but you can you could do all right. You, there's, there's ideas when you're going to understand that this is my best chance of rain. Now, that's going to limit you. I mean, some folks have enough trouble just hitting the 55-degree temperature mark. You know, they get stressed out if they miss it. But if you're somebody that's on big property and you can't water, and now not only do you have to worry about the soil temperature timing, you also have to add in the added factor of trying to time it around rain. Yeah, that's a bigger that's a bigger challenge. But that's okay. Some people have larger challenges than other others. You know, that's just how it works. Some people are six foot five and are built to play football, and some people are smaller like me and are and are built to play tennis because I only have to run ten feet in either direction. So there's just some people have certain challenges that others don't. And when you have an acre and you can't water then that's a different challenge that you have. Now, there is the possibility that you're going to miss that rain too, or, or it'll be rain that will be predicted. You'll put your application down and the rain won't come. That's where hoping for the best comes in because this is where 
you're never going to beat nature. You're never going to meet, never beat God. This is the playing field. This is the game we're playing. We don't control the weather. So this is part of the challenge, right? So you did the best you could on your acre. You put it down. The rain didn't come. What do I do? Well, you got to hope for the best. Well, Alan, is the sun going to degrade it? Yes, possibly. Is it going to destroy the prodiamine application? I don't know. I don't know what the cloud cover is. I don't know how long it's sitting out. I don't know how long your lawn was when you put it down. Maybe you're getting some... I, I, there's all these things I don't know. And so I can't give you the exact answers, but I can say you do the best you can. You use logic. You use use the data at hand, and you put that application down the best that you can. But no, the morning dew is not going to do it. You're going to have to really work to time that around rain. Oh, another question I've been getting a lot is, Alan, do you know when the new Toro Super Recyclers are coming out and will you be getting the the 60 volt or 80 volt or whatever it is? So I can tell you that I talk directly with the folks at Toro, uh, talk, email, and I email at least once a month asking for an update and it's always the same thing. We don't know. We'll let you know. I have been promised that I can buy the first two Super Recyclers off the line. I'll get the first battery powered and the first gas powered. I'm going to bring those in. That is my all-time favorite mower. I currently have a Super Recycler that's a couple years old. It's fine, but I want to bring in the new version. So, yeah, I'm going to get them as soon as I can. But right now, literally no one knows when they're coming. And this is March 8th. So, hopefully soon is all I can really tell you. All right, y'all just had a quick one come in. Wanted to stop here and answer it. This is a pretty good one. It'd be something fun. You guys, a lot of y'all have bigger lawns, right? And you're always asking me questions about big lawns. I have more big lawn content coming. Obviously, I take care of 100,000 square feet out at the Freedom Factory. But you have to understand, I don't have a lot of experience and never have had a lot of experience with big lawn equipment necessarily outside of the commercial realm. So it's taken me a while to learn what I really like. Uh, but I think I'm dialed in and I'm going to make some really, really good videos, in-depth videos for you guys with big lawns. But here's a little preview. So this one comes in from Anthony. He says, or he asks, hey, I like to mix it up and put down both granular and liquid. I have 51,000 square feet. Now, just for reference to you guys, an acre is 43,500 square feet. So he is um, almost 10,000 over that. So he's well over an acre. While the liquid is much faster for me to tank behind my zero turn, sometimes I enjoy the walk. I was checking out some videos trying to decide on a spreader I saw the echo on your channel and was thinking about that one. But what are some of the latest suggestions? If Yard Mastery had one, I would get it right away. <laughs> well, there's a little preview, Anthony. We might be working on something like that, but development of those things takes a little bit of time. I will tell you right now, for 51,000 square feet, you're not going to enjoy the walk with the echo. And by the way, I want to say the fact that you enjoy the walk, that is awesome. I also enjoy the walk. I like to walk big lawns. I always did. Uh, I used to like to aerate by hand big lawns, two, three acres. Give me that walk behind Ryan aerator and I'm going for it. I'll even take the thin one. And uh, I just like that. I like to get out there and gut it out. And uh, fertilizing is not easy. You got to figure if you have a 50 pound hopper, so you have 45 or 50 pounds of fertilizer in your hopper that you're pushing straight. It's literally like pushing one of those push sleds that I make Brett push up and down the warehouse here to, uh, to help alleviate his weight problem that he has. But 
Uh, I'm saying that he's in the room right now, so I don't bust on him when he's not in front of me. But I uh, just wanted to say that. I like that. I respect the fact that you're walking. But I will say that Echo is not for that. I'm going to tell you the Echo is good for up to 10,000 square feet. It's a good unit. It's a solid unit for that, you know, $100, $125 that you're going to pay for it. But when it comes to, to, to refilling several times, because, you know, if you have a 10,000 square foot bag of stuff, you're going to have to refill five times. That, that spreader is not going to last for that. Uh, number one and number two, it's not going to be comfortable. You're going to want to get to something that's got, you know, more of a professional um, setup, what, pneumatic wheels, uh, tires, that type of stuff. I don't know all the terminology. Ball barons. What you want to get is a Lesco or a high-end Spiker or even a high-end Andersons. Those are made more for walking larger properties. I really do like the Lesco. I've always used those. That's what we used at Kimlon. Uh, so you can't go wrong there. You can get used ones if you look online. And uh, they can, you can rebuild almost every part of those spreaders besides, like, the frame and the bucket. So you could rebuild pieces to it. You Sometimes they'll shear pins, things like that. That can all be repaired. So if you get an old used one, it is possible to fix it up and have it work really well for you as long as nothing's bent. Um, I do like Spiker, even though, you know, you have to have a PhD in order to put one together. So just be ready for that. Uh, and, again, you can't go wrong with the Andersons. Never used one, but I have seen the quality of them, and, and they're, they look to be really good. So... Another opportunity that you might want to look at that is a step up, that's something I have been testing, and it's the last little leg that I'm going to go through here before I do my big deep review, is powerspreaders.com. You should look these guys up. They take Lesco spreaders, and they put a battery on them, and they now have a battery-powered Lesco spreader. It runs on a three-wheel setup or a four-wheel setup, and you still walk behind it, but you just it just has a, um, you know, like a motorcycle deal on it. I don't know the terms. I don't ride motorcycles. Whatever that thing is, you spin on a motorcycle vroom vroom that thing it's got one of those on there and you just walk behind it and it's got that beautiful lesco spread pattern it's got you can get the breakthrough agitator in there it is a nice setup the thing i'm doing now is seeing how much square footage i can get out of one charge so i've done a little bit of testing so far but i'm not convinced that i did it all right so i'm going to do a little bit more testing before i do that but you should look those guys up they are located here in sarasota so they are a local business it's a dad and his son that are literally cranking these things out in a warehouse. They order all the pieces. They order the Lesco spreaders. They order the batteries, the motors. They put it all together by hand in this little warehouse, and they and they put them out. And it's something that they're really pushing towards professionals because it does have that gap. It, it fills that gap between the traditional push spreader or the full ride-on. So traditional push spreader, you know, Lesco in that, what, six, 700 bucks now? Maybe for one of those, whereas, you know, uh, then you go all the way up to a ride-on spreader, you're at 10000 and up. So what's in the middle? Well, that's what these are, this this um, battery-powered um, spreader here, this battery-powered Lesco. It's in the middle. We're talking $2,000, $2,500. So it's, you see where that falls in the market, kind of interesting. And it'll be interesting to see how those guys do as they grow and as they learn things and they're able to continue to modify their design. Because, again, these are just guys you know, just cranking the stuff out in a garage or in a, in a warehouse, which I think is really awesome. So I've done videos on them. They've showed up in my videos last week on my podcast, Lawns Across America. Here we, I talked to a guy that was a professional um, that was down here and he was actually buying one for his business. So pretty cool how that overlap is coming in. But I think those are all the types of things you might want to consider, Anthony, all the way in between for your 51,000 square feet. And um, I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy spreading and dreading, my friend.
All right, so I kind of been dreading this one, <laughs> but we're going to get into it. This is the, uh, the questions that all go around. Should I seed my lawn in the springtime? Because this is um, this one. This one creates a lot of. I don't want to say this one creates a lot of conversation. We can just say that, and and it gets to a point where people take sides on it. You know, or to the point where, I mean, as you guys know, or you're going to find out, I recommend against seeding in the spring, in in most cases. And the reason that is, and we're going to go into it. But I see people every year they seed in the spring, and then they'll go. Look, Alan said you can't seed in the spring, and look, I did it, and I was successful. I'm like, well, wait a minute, bro. First, I never said you can't do anything, and of course you can, and yeah, you can be successful, but I'm still just going to give you my opinion based on the best practice that I've seen from what I, you know, where I'm at. I, I see a lot of DIYers. Arguably, I look at more DIY lawns than anybody on the internet, maybe anyone in the world. I mean, based on, you know, some of the the places that I, I'm at all the time answering questions and looking and and, and observing, so... With that, I'm going to continue to give you what my best uh, my best advice is, and that is not to seed your lawn in the spring. Now, I'm talking to cool season lawns here. Well, man, maybe we can go into uh, seeding warm season lawns because you do seed those in the late spring. But we're talking to cool season lawns right now, Kentucky bluegrass, turf-type tall fescue, perennial rye. And I'm going to tell you that uh, Kentucky bluegrass is the hardest one to do in general, period. Just seeding it all. Kentucky bluegrass is the most difficult to seed. Ask anybody that's done it. It's a slower grower, slower to develop. And I don't care what kind of marketing is out there telling you that they've made it grow faster. It is slow, especially when you do a 100% Kentucky bluegrass stand. So that's the hardest one. Turf type tall fescue, perennial rye, easier. Perennial rye, the easiest. But even in the springtime, they're all going to be difficult. And here's why. So we talk about temperature milestones and we talk about crabgrass. Crabgrass is that annual grassy weed that germinates in the spring as soil temperatures cross 50, heading to 55, and it germinates all through the spring. And when soil temperatures get past 70, 75, that's when the window closes. You're in summer. You're not really in danger of more crabgrass germinating. But a lot can germinate during that spring uh, time window. And you don't really know. I mean, unless you've lived in your house for a while. You may not know what's there, what's hiding. You have no idea. And so you come in and you put down grass seed. You put down your Kentucky bluegrass that can take 15, 18, 21 days to germinate. There's miracle grass seed, Kentucky bluegrass seed, that apparently germinates in three days now. I don't know how that happened. Somebody definitely changed nature there. But either way, it's slow. But that crabgrass seed is going to be germinating right alongside your beautiful grass seed that you paid a lot for, especially if you bought some of these elitist seeds that are being sold now. You paid a lot of money for that. And so with that, that crabgrass can and will in a lot of spots outcompete your good grass, especially around edges of sidewalks and things like that. It's going to outcompete there. It's it's born and bred to live one year, so it leaps off faster. It's the tortoise and the hare. Essentially, the crabgrass is the tortoise and your Kentucky bluegrass is the hare. No, the other way around. <clears throat> the crabgrass is the hare. <laughs> and your Kentucky bluegrass is the tortoise in a sense. And so that crabgrass will outcompete it in a lot of places, especially in hot zones. And so you're thinking about that. You cannot use pre-emergent because this is the question people will ask. Can I use pre-emergent in the spring and seed? And the answer is, well, yes and no. The first way to answer that is traditional pre-emergents that we talk about, which are prodiamine or dithiapyr would be the other active ingredient, but prodiamine that will actually stop your good grass seed, your Kentucky bluegrass, your perennial rye, your turf-type tall fescue. It will kill that too. It'll stop that from germinating right alongside that crabgrass. So when you seed in the spring, you're ineligible now to use those tried-and-true 
crabgrass pre-emergence because they will also kill your good grass seeds. So now you say, what are my alternatives? Well, there is an alternative pre-emergent that you can use alongside of seeding, and that is the active ingredient mesotrione. Now, mesotrione is the active ingredient. Everybody knows tenacity. They think it's a miracle weed control, and it is a good weed control for a lot of things. It's misused a lot, and we're not going to get into that right now, but for pre-emergence of seeding, it is excellent. It is exactly what you recommend it for. Scott's has products on the market that have that included. They'll have starter fertilizer. Some I think they have one now that's got starter fertilizer, grass seed, and mesotrione in it. It's like a triple. I mean, that's an excellent product. Mesotrione does work as a pre-emergence against um, crabgrass and I think dandelions and some other weeds too, which is, again, more of that positive for it being a pre-emergence. However, it doesn't have the lasting power. It doesn't have the staying power. It doesn't last as long as prodiamine. From my um, studies, and I haven't had extensive experience with it, okay? But from my experience, just what I've read and seen, you get 30, 35 days of really good pre-emergence control. Keep in mind in the spring, those the rainy season for a lot of you. So a lot more rain in the spring than other times, which is going to bring the efficacy length down some. Uh, also soil type, but... So it's good. It's a nice alternative if you have to seed in the spring, but it isn't something that I think would cover an entire crabgrass window. A crabgrass window can be, you know, 65 days, 70 days even, right? Um, you know, when I lived in Northwest Indiana, yeah, our crabgrass window was right around 70 days, you know, sometime around the beginning of March into about the beginning, middle of May. Is that 70 days? I should make sure before I put that out there. March to April to May, 60 days. So, that's a, that's a crabgrass window, right? So that mesotrion wouldn't last that entire time. So you have to think about that. So what could happen is, sure, you get a good start. You're, uh, you're good. You, you use that mesotrion in the spring. You seed. Things are going well. And then when that wears off, now the crabgrass comes in and rages and, and blows up your seeding. Just, it just got delayed. That could happen. That is something that, that will happen in a lot of cases. So something to think about. Now, we also want to think about Let's think about those of y'all that have seeded in the fall. What's the what's the one thing that you're the most... Well, anyway, we'll go back to that. We'll go back to what you're the most impatient for. Here's the other thing. Post-emergent weed control. The other thing that's going to come to you if you seed in the spring, the other thing that's going to come to you sometime around uh, Derby Day, maybe Cinco de Mayo, maybe sometime the last week of April, but sometime in that late April is going to be the major dandelion bloom. Every one of you across the Midwest and up through the East, you get whacked with dandelions. You've seen the lawns that are a sea of yellow, and then a week later, they're a sea of white puffballs. That's the seed heads. You know those lawns, right? You've seen those. Those lawns happen in late April, early May. Well, if, if that stuff's in your lawn, again, if you don't have history with your lawn, and maybe you are sitting on a dandelion field, well, here's the thing. If you're seeding in May, um, March or April, then you know right come that time, that first week of May, uh, that's when you're going to get hammered with those dandelions where you're not going to be able to spray a post-emergent weed control because post-emergent weed controls typically want you to wait two mowings. And you may not be at two mowings at that point if you seed it in late March or early April and that dandelion bloom happens at the end of April. You see what I'm saying? You're like right on that cusp of can I even spray dandelions? So now I have dandelions coming in and go look at the razor sharp beaks on those bad boys. Look at how they spread out, man. Those bastards will 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 really push your grass right out of the way because your grass is still weak. You know, it still doesn't have the strength that it needs. And so now it's got dandelions just razoring all around it, you know, dropping these puff balls, shading out the sun. It's a, that's a horrible way to have to start a life. And, and all because you chose to start 
you know, because you chose to seed in the spring. Now, the other thing you have is that late frost freeze. This is the other challenge that you have. We face the opposite thing when we seed in the fall, and and we have to get done early, so we have plenty of time to, to handle the first frost that comes in the fall. But in the spring, you could have the late one that comes in. So when are you going to seed? Are you going to seed in the middle of March, late March, April? You guys everywhere. I don't care if you live in West Virginia. I don't care if you live in, definitely if you live in northern Wisconsin, you have had a late frost freeze I'm talking like April 15th. I know you have. And so there's a chance there. There's a chance you take there that that all that hard work that you went to in the spring, all that money you spent, bam, wax it right out, right? So that's another thing to think about. Now, let's go back to that thing I was saying that you're impatient about. And I, you guys know this that have seeded in the fall. The thing you can't stand the most is waiting to mow. Now, once again, let me just say something. You guys know I'm I'm a fan of of the the seed into a current lawn, aerate and seed into the lawn. I'm not a fan of the lawn burn down. It's one of those things that I don't recommend either. I know there are times when it has to be done, so I'm not like against it, something like that. I get way too passionate about this stuff sometimes. It's just freaking grass, y'all. I just like talking about it a lot and in this way. But um, I'm a fan of that seeding into a current lawn, and, and that would go in the spring too. So with that in mind, you have to think about you're going to want to mow because you want to get out and do that, especially in the spring. If you think about the growth chart, we think about the growth curves. We have the two camel humps for cool season lawns. Spring is actually the bigger top growth time than the fall. Fall's more rooting. But the spring overall is a bigger time. So now you got to think your existing grass is really raging in the spring, but you can't get out and mow because you just seeded and you got baby grass hanging up under there and you don't want to trample it. So, man, what is your lawn really going to look like in the spring? Because you do have to wait a couple of weeks to mow and with the higher growth spurt in the spring which is the spring is if you look at that growth curve we talk about you are really going to have to wait to mow so I mean, there's all of these things to consider I took a bunch of notes I really kind of looked into this you can see I'm trying to talk out of it <laughs> you know um, one other thing that will happen is is that folks who seeded in the fall they are not patient enough and so coming into spring they think their fall seeding didn't do well enough and they are going to have to reseed in the spring. You see what I'm saying? What I want you to do is wait. I want you to give that fall seeding a chance to thicken up. I want you to start pushing it with fertilizer, with nitrogen, and with a lot of mowing, and let it fatten itself up. You don't want to overcrowd it by immediately bombing it with seed again in the spring and, and just really putting in more competition. So now, now you probably have some existing grass that's mature grass. Now you, And then you also have some of that new grass that's in there that's that's, you know, coming into its, its uh, college years, and now you just put in baby grass, and you have all of that living together and competing for a root system, that just doesn't sound right. What I think would be better is to work on that college grass. Let's, let's let that college grass turn into a pro. Let's really develop it out, whether we need to bulk it up, right? Let's put it on a bulking session. Enough, enough good things going at that age. We can really, really, really start bulking it up, especially with the spring that's going to be helping us out with mild temperatures, with rain, right? We are really going to have a chance to bulk that grass up. So I would not seed in the spring if you seeded last fall. I would, I would go on a bulking cycle. So that's just another piece of that whole spring seeding thing. Now, let me just go back to this and say, I realize there's times when you're going to want to seed in the, in the spring, and some of you might just want to do it for the challenge, and if that's you, I I, I, talk, I respect that. I think that's awesome. Do it for the challenge. You know, go for it. Um, don't don't let me stop you. I'm just trying to try to help those folks out that are looking for the way they're like, I just want to give me the way that gives me the best chance for success. I would say 
my strategy always is, and I'll put it in a nutshell, is spring you play defense and offense. The defense is with pre-emergent weed control to keep crabgrass out. And again, this is for warm and cool season. And then also your your other piece of your defense is a lot of mowing because mowing will keep weeds out more than you think. And then also we're going to go on offense. We're going to go on a bulking session. We're going to push the lawn to thicken up what's there. Even if you think you have a terrible lawn, the terrible lawn that you have is the lawn that has survived all of the neglect from the previous owners or previous years or whatever it is, right? So that's going to be the strongest grass. So let's see what happens if we actually start caring for it since it survived in these terrible conditions all these years. So what we do is... The other thing we're going to do is we're going to give it a year where it doesn't have to compete with crabgrass by putting in a pre-emergence. So pre-emergence there, lots of mowing to keep weeds out, to help keep weeds out, lots of fertilizer to really bulk up the existing grass that is there. And then we can even go into spot spraying some weeds if you want to. We can get into, you know, obviously in the summer, we're concerned about our watering. I don't even care about disease the first year. Forget that. Insects, forget that. Okay, it's okay. Keep moving forward with those basics. And then when you get to the fall, you're reassessing. That's when you can throw in your grass seed and that's when you can move into a more offensive type relationship with the lawn, knowing what you were able to accomplish just with some of the basics. So. cover another one of these subjects that comes up a lot and this is the subject of spring dethatching. This is one of, I don't I for some reason I didn't want to cover this one but I wrote a whole bunch of notes about it and uh, kind of scrapped those and I think I'm just going to go off the cuff with it. So what is dethatching? Dethatching is you will see lots and lots of videos. You'll, if you're on Instagram and you follow the lawn care community, you're going to start seeing people standing next to huge piles of debris in their lawn and the taller the the stacks of debris and the more stacks of debris, the more likes they will get because you literally get a badge of honor in the lawn care community when you dethatch your lawn. But you have to show piles. If you don't show piles, it doesn't mean anything. And the piles indicate that you obviously had a problem with your lawn. Prior to that, your lawn must have been terrible. It must have been completely choked. It must have not been growing at all, 100%, right? Because... Otherwise, what is what are all these piles of debris? Well, 
I actually think that, and by the way, this is nothing that was started in our lawn care community. The, the, the idea of dethatching was started somewhere way back in the Midwest because it's one of those things that if you go talk to parent, my, people my dad's age in their 70s all throughout the Chicagoland area, they dethatch every spring. So this is something that has started back with the boomers. I don't know who started the idea of dethatching. Uh, maybe cultural practices were different in the 50s and 60s and 70s. I don't know. But let me explain what the process of dethatching is. So thatch is the layer of organic materials that lays right about the soil line. Uh, some people would even call that the rhizosphere, this, this area here where thatch and soil kind of meet. And that area is healthy for the lawn. Now, people will say, well, it should be a half inch thick. It should be three quarters inch thick. I've gotten away from trying to say that because every lawn works a little bit differently depending on a lot of different things, uh, a lot of different factors from sun to shade to water to uh, competition from trees to soil structure to uh, how tall the lawn is mowed. So there's all these different factors into how thick or thin the uh, how often it's mowed the thatch should be but in general if your lawn is growing healthy if you're having to mow every few days in the spring and you're not seeing large big brown areas that look like hay fields then your thatch layer is manageable and the reason I'm saying this is because I think for some reason people think that they have to rip out all this dead stuff out of their lawn every spring because they think that's going to choke their lawn out when in reality I can tell you that I literally walked on thousands of lawns in the Chicagoland area from 19 when did I start working for True Green 1998 March of 1998 until I left there in 2012 from from northwest Indiana to all around the Chicagoland over area over by there even right up over by Marsh Cheese Castle up there up onto the Wisconsin border up over that way even over uh, into I worked in Dayton Ohio I worked at Dayton North I worked at Dayton Springboro branch so all of that part the Ohio River Valley whatever they call that shout out to Skyline Chili so I've worked on a lot of cool season lawns and you know how many I've stepped on that I would say had to be dethatched in that all of that time, like five, maybe. And they were ones where somebody had irresponsibly been running their irrigation just way. I mean, it was crazy, right? I mean, and, and which didn't happen often. And even ones where the irrigation was wrong and we did find a thatch problem. It, it wasn't hard to just uh, handle those by correcting the irrigation, right? And then maybe doing some aeration, to punch holes through. That's really all it took to really get things going. Now, why do people dethatch? Well, I think what's happening is, is a couple of things, especially in the spring, is I think a lot of you are just impatient and you have areas of the lawn that would wake up that you think are dead. And so you're taking a dethatching machine across there and ripping out a lot of your good grass when really you just need to wait a little bit longer and let it just wake up because different areas of the lawn have been exposed to different uh, things during the year or during the winter. Um, some areas had more snowpack than others, so sun penetration was different, so one area will wake up different than another. One area you built a snowman on and not the other, so it's it's suffering from a little bit more uh, uh, of that type of foot traffic. Maybe one area actually it melted and the wind got to it and it kind of scorched a few areas. See, So this is why I've always just recommended that hand raking because you can kind of, you're not going to tear anything up with a hand rake but you are going to get out and create some airflow to help speed along the process of the lawn waking up. 
and you'll you can see my videos. Get out and just hand rake areas. I, now my lawn in Indiana was what six thousand square feet or something, maybe seven thousand. Now that I talk about it, it's like a fish story over the years. Pretty soon it's going to be four acres, you know, in another ten years. But I think it was six thousand square feet. It's not a big lawn, but I was hunkering to get out this time of year, man. I would get a one hour window you know, where the, where the sun was going to peak out and I needed some freaking vitamin D bro. And I would get out and rake that lawn, man. And I'd join me a nice, you know, IPA on the porch or something afterwards. Uh, I wanted to get out. So get out and hand rake. I don't, I just, I think that this, this dethatching, which again, it's this machine. I don't know if I can even explain it, but I think y'all know it's a machine that just rips grass, man, just, and it'll go deep and it'll rip out all this material that I think a lot would wake up. Now, some will say, I know there's people who go, well, I waited and I, I did it later and pulled out all this debris and all this material. Well, I would say that all you're doing is you're just not being patient with the natural cycle of the lawn. You know, naturally that stuff breaks down. What happens to living things? Living things break down. So those things that die and break down in the lawn, that that grass cycling, that's a natural thing where roots cycle and grass blades cycle, and things get carried, and, and it cycles through, and all you're doing is you're just not waiting. You're just not patient. Why don't you just let it be natural? Why don't you let it do its natural thing? Because I can tell you, again, most lawns don't need to be dethatched. You're just, you're just not patient. You just need to let the microbes do their thing. You see what I'm saying? And part of that comes with that frequent mowing, because people think that mulching their grass is going, mulching their clippings is going to create thatch, and it's not if you do it right. This is why we follow the one-third rule. Go ahead. Trust me. Take it. Go outside and, and mow following the one-third rule and take the clippings and go put them out in the sun. They literally disintegrate to nothing in like a few minutes. That's fine. Uh, if you're not doing that, though, if you're allowing things to build up, then you can be contributing to some of that buildup, and you will literally see that. I've had times when I when I, my lawn gets overgrown, right, and I have to mow and I have to mulch and I and stuff gets clumped. I've seen that. Well, that's where me as a manage as a lawn tender, I need to go out and hand rake those areas. That's during the year, and I've showed that in videos where I've done that, where I've let things build up. But again, those are things that we are doing those are not things like what you guys do where i see people literally dethatching their lawn every single year i don't know of any university professional phd you know guy that went to the school of hard knocks i don't know of anybody that recommends dethatching the lawn even once every 5 years so you know again it's something i think could be up for a conversation but i just wanted to weigh in on it um Listen, I was just out and used Ryobi's dethatcher. I think the thing is freaking awesome. They sent me one. I don't know what to do with it. It's not my thing. So again, you're. I just wanted to give you my perspective on it. Now, another thing that people will ask is with warm season grass, if that should ever be done. And I would say no, because listen, uh, you know, zoysia does get thatch really bad. Boy, I got to talk to you guys about zoysia, my zoysia. <laughs> it's, well, it's one of those things. I feel like it's a rehab every year with that. But, um, but, but, uh, what you do with those, especially if you get a real bad thatch issue, is you just scalp it and just start over. You treat zoysia like you treat Bermuda. Scalp them. Now, I've talked to you about that. That allows invaders. It does. You know, we can talk. I'll talk more about zoysia coming up here. A few people have asked. I got to get the, what I got to do is go do the rehab out there so I can do a video. Then I can talk to you guys on the podcast in depth of what happened and how I came through. So it's going to be a little bit of time there. But those, you don't need to dethatch those. Just scalp them. And uh, St. Augustine, we never dethatch. Never, 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 never. I know people will say they've had to do verticuts and stuff. No, again, something's going on there. Um, but 
But no, not not St. Augustine because all the stolons are on top. And if you dethatch that, you're going to rip those stolons in half. You're literally killing all the arms and the legs. You know, the uh, the um, there's there's grasses. Zoysia and Bermuda have stolons that are underground runners and, uh, I'm sorry, stolons that are above ground runners and rhizomes that are underground runners. They have both. So you can scalp them. They, they're fine. They got the underground runners, push right back, rage right back, good to go. We don't have that with St. Augustine. So if you scalp that down or if you go in and, and verticut and cut the crap out of that, man, you, you're really going to cause damage. And when I say cause damage, you're going to stunt the St. Augustine to the point where now what's going to rage in? I'm going to tell you, torpedo grass is going to rage in. Wild Bermuda is going to rage in. That's what's going to happen. If you have a thick turf stand of St. Augustine and you think it's too thick, you should thank your lucky stars that it's too thick because it's too thick for anything else to get in there. I know it's too thick for you to walk on. I get it. But St. Augustine grass, we love St. Augustine grass for other reasons. She is not one that we walk on. We're not running barefoot and playing in the sprinklers and doing Instagram photos in St. Augustine grass. I'm so sorry about that, okay? But even though I, I can take some nice Instagram photos on my St. Augustine, but it's just not that grass. So just thank, thank your, your be, be thankful that you have thick St. Augustine grass if you do. So, all right. I guess that's enough rambling on all of those things. Um, I hope I'm not making people mad with this. I don't think I would be. I'm just having a good time talking about it, giving you my opinions, getting you to think a little bit, and uh, hopefully you'll make some good decisions this year with your strategy as we move forward. All right, y'all, there we go. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Just straight Q&A, getting into a lot of spring talk. By the time this podcast comes out, we will have already sprung forward, and the days will be longer, so I know you guys will be getting out and really getting some spring fever. With that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week, and wherever you are, I hope the sun is shining on you. I'll see you in the lawn. guys something so you know I'm, I'm here working late so i'm coming over to have a little you know corona you know it's my office i do what i want but I'm, i take a look in here look at this in this is a key lime pie but look completely untouched i mean are you kidding me what is it like my birthday or what
Hey, how you guys doing? I'm uh, here in the studio on a Saturday doing a little editing, but I figured I would let you know. I don't know if you guys know how important today is, tonight actually. Just in case you don't know, tonight is spring forward one hour at 2 a.m. on Sunday tonight. You spring forward one hour. The first reason that's important is because you want to be on time to church tomorrow. Don't, don't be that guy. But the other thing is, is because this gives you an extra hour until sunset at night. This gives you extra garage time. This is going to give you extra mow time. Like all of a sudden, a, a, a switch is going to flip in your head and all of a sudden you're going to realize that you have more time for lawn work and your whole psyche, your whole outlook on life is going to improve. Trust me, spring forward tonight one hour and see the difference.